It's rare that Donald Trump opens his mouth when words come out that the words actually match up with the truth. Welcome to another episode of Mind of State. I'm Betty Tang. And I'm Michael Epstein, and together we're your hosts. Here at Mind of State, we don't so much discuss the news as psychoanalyze it by talking to some of the smartest, most interesting minds in mental health and the social sciences. Hi, Betty. Hi, Michael. So today our guest is Dr. Michael Tanzi. Michael happens to be a friend and a colleague, and I think it's safe to say we've bonded and become closer over being horrified by Donald Trump. Although lately, can I admit something to you, Michael? Sure, sure. Go ahead. I'm kind of bored. Bored? By Donald Trump. You're bored with Don? I love this. You're bored with Donald Trump. I'm totally bored. I, I really find him repetitive. He says the same things over and over and over again, and I, I'm just not that... I'm not that interested. Um, I that, you know what I kind of said? I, 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 yeah, right, exactly. Now I'm we've started. This to... We're like episode three in and we're bored. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really ADHD. Can I say that I, I love this idea because I think it may be the greatest insult you could hurl at Donald Trump, which is, I am bored with you. I'm not interested. I'm really, I mean, but we Obviously, have a show to we do. Have to, yeah, we have a show to do. Uh, <laughs> don't get me started. I, you can, Tansy, Michael Tansy, you can analyze me on that. Well, we, just briefly, we have, I, yes. Uh, there's there's a phenomenon called Trump fatigue, uh, and I think it's less about boredom, less about not caring, than a sense of powerlessness um, at being able to do anything about it. I, I don't think it's that you don't care about these issues at all. Uh, I don't think that it's true boredom. Uh, I think it more has more to do with a sense of powerlessness and fatigue at this stuff keep coming at you again and again and again. Too true. Too true. Too so true. who is that voice and why does he have any standing to say what he does? Yes, let's welcome him to our show. <laughs> without further ado, uh, without further ado, I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Michael Tanzi. Michael is a former associate professor in clinical psychology at Northwestern University Medical School and a clinical psychologist in private practice in Chicago for nearly 40 years treating adults, adolescents, and couples. He has written numerous professional articles and co-authored a book on empathy and the therapeutic process. He is also among the co-authors of the New York Times bestseller, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for Hello being there. on Mind of State. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Well, you, you hit us off well by talking about the Trump fatigue and boredom. And addressing my boredom as more than boredom, which is part of our field to kind of look at what we are saying and kind of look underneath what we're talking about. What does my boredom really mean? And we brought you on to talk about lying, um, which is really what are people really saying when they're saying what they're saying? I'm getting roundabout, but talk to us about lying and your your views of what's going on in the White House and what's coming out of uh because we all, I think the thing is, Michael, we all lie, right? In in the you know bit small lies over the course of our day, sometimes sure more, but uh, you seem to think it's quantifiably different here. It's not just like when I lie, I know I'm lying. And there are different kinds of lies. Exactly. 
So we're going to have a psychological and semantic conversation, both language and <laughs> mental health. Bring them, we're we're going to bring them into the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that, um, you know, over the course of my really intensive study of Donald Trump, for example, I continue to read his tweets first thing every morning. So that shows you how utterly preoccupied I've been with him really since uh, he declared his uh, candidacy for the president in um, uh, 2015. Uh, I think we have to distinguish between lies and falsehoods. Um, lies are a subset of falsehoods. So it's rare that Donald Trump opens his mouth when words come out that the words actually match up with the truth. But I think that there are two separate categories that really need to be understood, uh, and it's central to understanding this man's personality makeup and the profound danger that we are all in. I've been writing for years that we are not nearly as afraid as we should be. So here's the deal on the falsehoods. There are strategic lies, lies that serve an immediate purpose uh, of the dog ate my homework variety. Examples. Yes, like so when uh, Betty says, Michael, that, you know, when she tells me I did a nice job in the podcast, uh, there's a strategic <laughs> lie there for her. A caring one. A caring one uh, that, to that, sort that, of keep that me that on the team. might actually be called a white lie. Um, as, as opposed to Trump's lies, like, I never met David Duke. I didn't call that uh, country a shithole, um, et cetera. Yeah. Can they're, I give a litany of these, Michael, that you would publish? And because they're they're in descending order of seriousness, right? So he's he has at different times asserted that he owns an original Renoir, the sisters, which is not true. Two sisters. Two sisters, excuse me. Uh, that he won the largest electoral college victory since Ronald Reagan, uh, which is not true. Barack Obama did with 322 electoral votes to Donald Trump's 300. Uh, but, you know, a very ugly, pernicious lie that thousands of Muslims uh, he saw in New Jersey celebrating the collapse of the Twin Towers on 9-11. These are delusional falsehoods. It's... Mm. It reflects a psychotic detachment from reality. Delusions are rigidly held beliefs despite irrefutable evidence to the contrary. The twin sisters, for example, he insists that he owns the original Renoir when it's hanging in the Art Institute. I've seen it many, many times. He insists that uh, that Muslims celebrated Muslims celebrated in New Jersey. It simply didn't happen. Um, and yet he pounds the table and insists that it did. That to me, and I believe that if he were wired up, uh, as I talked about, if he were wired up to a reliable lie detector test, he would believe that. He would pass with flying colors. Um, so delusional falsehoods uh, versus strategic lies are really very different. So they function differently. So a delusion is a, is a separation from reality um, that somebody believes. They're not in reality, but they believe that their their unreality is true. So when it, if you think about the psychotic spectrum of disorders, schizophrenia, uh, the delusions are bizarre. Martians are infiltrating the United States. Uh, for Trump, uh, he believes that Muslims and Mexicans are infiltrating the United States. One could sort of think, well, is that true? Maybe there's something to that. Um, and he kind of gets a pass on it. Um, when he says that the Central Park Five 
I'm not going to go into that story, but are guilty. This is a New York City story from the from the 90s, right? Right. Yeah. Right. For um, people who don't know, back listening at home. Yeah, he f- pounds the table and insists that they're guilty. They're guilty. They're guilty. Despite the perpetrator, uh, the man who committed the crime, coming forth, he has DNA evidence that matches. He knows the details of the scene, etc. Uh, it's clear that these young men, after having spent eight to nine years in prison, are absolutely innocent. Uh, Trump pounds the table and insists otherwise. So now we have to consider, given the fact that you know, we have to look at the bigger picture. So throughout his uh, run for the presidency, for example, uh, I just was looking at it this morning. There's a viral tape out about him saying, it always starts with, I know more than, uh, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, all the generals. I'm an expert. Um, right. Uh, well, it's more brain. than an expert. It's I am this supreme authority. And uh-huh. I'm an expert. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, if he were to say he's an expert, well, you know, I might say I'm an expert. But if I say I know more than anybody about a raft of 30 different things, um, you know, when he said it at the time, I know more than all the generals, uh, it seemed like, you know, hyperbole. Uh, now, with what has just happened with uh, Masters, uh, uh, I'm Mattis. sorry, Mattis. James and, Mattis, and yeah, Secretary of Defense Master James Mattis. For him and et cetera, but especially with Mattis, uh, he, he, we now have to take that seriously. He thinks he really does know more than well, all the generals. But can we stop? Because I think that one of the things that I intuit in all of this is that uh, he doesn't trust experts or facts, right? So Mattis can give him a briefing about Turkey and uh, the influence of Iran and Russia and the Kurds and on and on and on. And for Trump, it's all about, in his terms and his or his language, feeling, gut. And so his gut makes him uh, the preeminent voice, the expert, the, the person who knows more because it's way worse than matters that. more than facts. It's way worse than that. Okay. So the way How? that I would describe it, uh, and you're, this would be nice for us to have a back and forth because I think it clarifies misunderstandings, not only among the public, but frankly, in, uh, within my profession, um, where people just simply don't get the profundity of the psychotic detachment from reality. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. With in delusional disorder, what's utterly mystifying about it is that the person on the surface, I mean, it sounds like a mythological creature that I'm making up, but it is an actual disorder that exists um, in the DSM manual. And what is beguiling about it is that on the surface, the person can seem charming, charismatic, high achievement, funny, et cetera, et cetera, as long as the underlying delusions, the psychotic, detachment from reality that's fixed, that's in there, that's lifelong, but doesn't typically show up uh, unless the delusions are challenged. So a way to think about him is uh, if we consider gaming systems. So a video game, um, you know, it's on a TV screen, you're working away at it, but, you know, you can hear the doorbell ring, you can hear your mother call you for dinner, uh, you can look at the clock and see, I got to get to a meeting, et cetera, et cetera. There's still uh, is avid involvement, but uh, there's connection with other reality around you. 
In the game of Oculus, which I think perfectly captures what it is that we're talking about here, Oculus has now evolved to a point where it's not only three-dimensional video, it's audio as well. So it is. So we're talking Oculus. For people who don't know, we're talking Oculus Rift, right? The the this the. It's a gaming system. The virtual that, reality uh, game system. You put the headsets on. You have the headphones. And you're, you're immersed. in the game. You're immersed. And you in are the matrix. You, you are the game. You are in the game. You, you people will see uh, pictures of this uh, where someone's wearing it and they're sort of reaching out, trying to catch things, and so on and so on. Uh, but it's full-on immersion in an alternate reality. And um, there, you don't know if the, the doorbell rings. You don't know uh, if it's time for dinner. You don't know uh, if someone has walked into the room. You are full-on immersed in your own alternate reality. And the problem here is that, um, you know, so a, a distinction between Trump and severe narcissist, which is what he's typically referred to, as a severe narcissist. For a severe narcissist, it's extremely difficult to empathize with another person. For someone of Donald Trump's nature, and we can talk about solipsism, there is no person there to empathize with any more than a spaceship flying overhead in uh, in a game of Oculus. There's nobody other than Trump. There's nobody other than Trump. So the term He's from philosophy... He's in his own reality. He's in his own 3D reality. He is game. in his own reality, and all of these things out here are mere sort of accoutrements of his own um, full-on alternate reality. Well, and I think now that he's in the top seat of power in the world, the president of the United States, that position holds a lot of authority, therefore, truth. Or uh, an right. assumption that that person who holds that office is going to be accountable to the truth. And here we have this um, juncture where we have this person who has not even, it's not about, as you're saying, Michael Tanzi, it's not about lying. It's it's about a person who doesn't even have any relationship to reality. So that's very different. And you're you're pointing out a good distinction because we are debating truth, lies. He's he he's seventy percent of the time he's lying. He doesn't care because he's he he doesn't even he he may not even know the distinction. He's in his own reality, as you put it. You know, it's funny. I was thinking. There's all of the press. There's the Washington Post, Pinocchios. There's you know. Yeah. Stephen Colbert, there's all these things, you know, that's not true. You're lying. Yeah, there's like 7,000 or 8,000, I think they're keeping count at a number right. of... Uh, he just hit some milestone, like the 20,000th lie or 2,000, I forget what it was. I mean, he's left to like 10, three, right. some, some astronomical number per day. He's like, remember Wilt Chamberlain? Oh, yeah. Remember this yeah. years sure. ago when he of came course. forward and he said he slept with... Very we much dated so. all of ourselves, yes. Right, he said yes. he slept with 10,000 women. Yes, uh, he 20, did say which that. Was, you were like, that's 20,000? Was that what it was? 20,000. Right. 20,000. I was like, and everybody was like doing the math. Like, that's just not, like, that's you know, impossible. Like, 12 well, people a day or something like that. Of course, my response when I heard that was, uh, you know, I'm not even been that lucky with myself, let alone somebody else. Um, TMI. <laughs> thank you. Uh, uh, but but you're like, you're like, how is Trump lying this much, right? I mean, how does he keep pace with himself in this way? And I guess what you're saying is, is that in, in and this may be semantic, he doesn't think he's lying, right? I mean, there is that, right? Is that a fair? No, 
Uh, I think no, you think again, he knows he's lying. I think when he said, I never met David Duke, when he said, I never called that country a shithole, that version of falsehood, he knows he's lying. But when he says that it was- When he says, I know more than all the generals, and that he doesn't his consider that a lot. as many people as, as Obama's. Right. How about the inauguration, right? Or how about the Electoral right. College? I mean, those are facts that you can- Irrefutable Check. facts to the contrary, right? Correct. So those are things that enter into the land of delusion. And this is so hard for people to grasp uh, that a person can look, let's call it relatively sane, or just like a narcissistic jerk who lies all the time. Functions. And, and that's and the big leave debate. leave it at that. Right, and Excuse he's me? functioning, right? That's and, the big debate. Is he? Is he? That that some people say calling him delusional or therefore mentally ill is gets him um, off the hook, right? Gets him off the hook, and also maligns mentally ill those who are mentally ill. I'm not concerned about that. At all. Yeah, I know you aren't, but I'm just <laughs> citing the uh, the opposite side of this. Um, but but what you're pointing out, and I've never like, heard that from a patient ever. Right, 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 and so. What you're pointing out, Michael, is the impact or the function of Donald Trump's, you know, various different lies. And and on a, on a sort of local level, it's to defend himself. I never met David Duke or I never said that. Um, that's like an, an almost an impulsive way to protect himself. When yeah, the dog ate my homework, by the, right. Exactly. The dog ate my homework. I'm going to get away with this. And and the other piece is these grandiose expressions, expressions of grandiosity that he must live within, and then what, how it functions for the collective, meaning those who don't care, or obviously he's subsisting very well with these seven thousand lies and counting, um, and there is something to be seen in all of this that that the truth. Um, which, you know, you can get into a lot of debate of what is the truth, but but the truth of facts that you can see recorded and go back to are not exactly. functioning the way are not functioning the way they have been functioning right. before. They're not doing what the role that, that we need truth facts to do. And this is the assault on the right. news, fake news. Absolutely. I mean, there is a role that these things play in a functioning society. And I think we're we're recording this on day I don't know what it is now. Uh, I mean, they're measuring the shutdown at this point, not in days. And, and they're going to stop doing it in weeks soon. It's going to be turning right. into months. months. And, you know, facts have stopped functioning or playing a role in our culture, in our society. And we are Or there's an impasse between facts and fantasy. Exactly. I think that's a better there's way of saying it. There's an impasse between facts and fantasy right now. And, and fantasy could be seen as lies. You know, that, that and, and Michael, you're pointing out the crux between the uses of the lies. There are different kinds of lies. Well, and, I and prefer the term falsehoods. 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 Of which right. there are lies and there are delusions. I know more than all the generals. That's not a falsehood. I don't think anyone can question that now. Right. Right. Um, but here, here's one point that I want to make about the shutdown. And this is what I mean about Donald Trump and people, ha you know, there are no people there to empathize with. They are ornaments or they are impediments. So when we think about the 800,000 people who are out there um, uh, and then the ripple effect through the diners and you know the um, movie theaters and et cetera, et cetera, it's rippling through the economy in a huge way. Does Donald Trump think about with any measure of um, 
uh, uh, empathy, uh, sympathy, uh, any sense of feeling bad for the people who are uh, really, really getting into hot water in all sorts of ways uh, financially? Um, the answer to that is no. They are viewed as ornaments or impediments. And that's it. Same thing with children being ripped apart from their parents at the board. He, he is not, he is a monster in so many ways. Uh, there is no sense of duty or obligation or responsibility or empathy because it's merely, he will look at it as, okay, that's going to, that's going to create pressure on the people that do care. Uh, the Democrats. And he's sort of throwing temper tantrums because it's not working out that way. But um, so the, the, the monstrous nature of this man's personality organization is vastly underappreciated. As long as he can get his his deal for the wall pushed through. You know, I, I guess the other thing in all of this is I'm fixated with this language that we use and how hard it was for the press initially to say he's lying, right? I mean, if you remember back in the day, they would say, well, that's not true. We're going to fact check it. You know, nobody could come out and say the guy's lying. And I think about that in terms of um, Steve King, the congressman from Iowa, and NBC, who sent out an email in the midst of all this controversy that was a, a directive or an advisory email to the reporters to not say that Steve King's comments are racist, and they are racist. Right. And instead, you were to say something like, as you know, some people are saying, and what is our collective re reluctance to say he's racist in the case of King or in the case of Trump, right? Or to say he's lying, to call the fact out for what it is. So I think that's, uh, there are many aspects to that. I think it's more, it's easier to discuss not with King, uh, but with uh, Trump himself. So we remember okay. Charlottesville and sure. the shocking comments that he made about there are good and fine people on both sides, and both sides are to blame, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, leaving people uh, uh, mouths agape uh, that he possibly could have said something like that. I think Trump is so uh, deviant from the norm that uh, we've never had to deal with anything like this before, ever. And so we have now continued to evolve as more and more uh, irrefutable facts have arisen so that terms like racist, terms like Russian agent, et cetera, et cetera, are gaining wider acceptance. But, you know, the idea was that, well, we can't say that because we don't really know. It's, as you just said a minute ago, speculative when it's not speculative. And you guys experienced something like this too, Betty, right? I mean, when you and Michael and others have gone out to call Trump out, you've been you've been chastised for for doing so. I think it's a question. There's so many layers to this that are socio-cultural, political, um, philosophical. But I, what comes to mind is Robert J. Lifton's term malignant normality, and that the office of the president of the United States holds some symbolism, an incredible yeah. amount of symbolism. And to join that with this kind of behavior is a shock to the American system. And I think that that even even the media who 
who is, you know, takes it on their own uh, mandate to speak out whenever possible, however possible. We've got a great First Amendment um, law protecting our journalists, and they take it very, very seriously. However, I think that there is something entrenched in us where we want that office to be a certain thing. It, it's a symbolic um, protection. It's a symbolic meaning of yes. icon of safety. And if you say that that president is lying all the time, it it not is not a just about Donald J. Trump. Then it's about what do we have to do? What is what is governing our whole system? Here? It's about America. It's, it's a, about faith. It's about well, social security. I mean, like it's it's about and it's about and it's about this can't be happening. Where have we heard that before? This right. can't possibly be happening uh, prior to the election. He will most certainly make a soft pivot. You remember that idea? Right. Right. Um, and I think it's a, this kind of thing you have to look at as almost even a traumatogenic response, meaning it's a shock. And now we're coming out of the shock, which takes time. And, and we're, it is we're still grappling with um, looking through the lens of when something happens to somebody and it's somebody that they know or that they voted for, something horrible, a, a traumatic um, event. Or something done to them. Right? Exactly. Right. When when you have a perpetration done on you and it's your coworker, say, you don't want to believe that that's happened. You don't want to tell other people that that's happened because you don't want it to be true because it's going to break apart everything. It it really is very disruptive it sounds and to, destabilizing. It's fascinating what you're saying, Betty. It sounds to me very much what you're talking about identity for ourselves. Presidency is a symbol. It's something that we incorporate into our identity, and we have yet been able to find a way to incorporate healthy. Sure. Right? Sure. I mean, so we sit there, as as Michael was saying, and deny the lies. We call them something else for a long time until we finally kind of come out of it and start recognizing the trauma for what it is. Right. Right. And it it is, I'm not the kind of person that this kind of thing happens to, if you look at it um, in terms of survivors who, who are not wanting to speak out or they want to be seen as that one thing. So this is, we are Americans. This is not happening on our shores. Not who we are. This is not who we are. So you grappling with that takes a lot of time. And and there's not a lot of time to think. There, there's a 24-hour news cycle constantly going. And so so that's where we're at. So the one thing that uh, I just want to add here, because I know we've got to be up against time, is that if indeed I am correct, and very few others have spoken in these terms, Lance Dotes is one, uh, that he has a psychotic core that is belied by uh, this appearance of, let's call it normality, such as it is normal. If indeed that is correct, and we consider what's going on now, where the walls are coming in on him. I mean, how many times have we said that? But, uh, you know, he has only yes men around him. The Republicans are starting to peel off. He's gotten himself into this fix with uh, the shutdown. The Mueller investigation uh, is becoming more and more and more compelling. He's not approaching the White House. He's camped out in the White House. All of that is coming down on his head. Enemies everywhere. Enemies everywhere. In my view, and I've been saying this since uh, before he was elected, that that it was about apocalypse and not politics, that that presidential election. Let's remember, because people forget this or they don't believe it. If he decides to launch nuclear missiles, he can do that without any filtering process whatsoever. And they're in the air in under five minutes. People don't believe that. 
people need to believe that. And that is one thing that needs to happen immediately. And people like McConnell and Ryan uh, have prevented that from happening. He can launch nuclear missiles. And it, as he becomes increasingly delusional, paranoid, enemies everywhere, enemies everywhere, enemies everywhere. I've worked with people who are in the midst of an extreme psychotic episode. Uh, I worked at McLean Hospital. People would come in believing, I can't figure out if I'm Jesus Christ or Mozart uh, or Jimi Hendrix, and floridly psychotic. The CIA is coming at them, et cetera, et cetera. Donald Trump, we don't know that he will launch nuclear missiles, but we don't know that he won't. And other than a brief period with Richard Nixon, that's never been a question before. And it is a huge question now. Why? Because he is, as I've said, crazy like a crazy, not crazy like a fox in terms of being shrewd, calculating, etc. The idea is if I am going down, since I am all that is in the end, at the end of the day, I am all that is, everything out here are ornaments or impediments. So what's to prevent him from, there is nothing to prevent him from taking the world down with him. Well, on, on that high, lovely note. On <laughs> <laughs> that hopeful, hopeful uh, um, message. Right. Um, Unlike your, I mean, maybe hopeful, the CIA but, is, but a, useful, you know, right. Uh, the CIA is useful. after him. And right. And, 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 and the FBI. There's a situation where all of them, the New York Times, all of them. there is, there is a, a very different element of a persona in the White House that we have to uh, reconsider and consider again and again, which is what, um, what we brought you on for, Michael. Yeah, John Gardner referred to me as Dr. Doom. <laughs> Doom among doomers, really. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, we have reached the end of yet another session. And as my analyst likes to say to me, take your problems home with you. <laughs> Mind of State is a production of Mind of State Media, LLC, in Hangar Studios, NYC. Our Cracker Jack producer is Caroline Quash. Our engineer is Rick Serbini. Mind of State's original music is composed by Joel Goodman, courtesy of Oeuvre Music. I'm Michael Epstein. And I'm Betty Tang. You can connect with us on Twitter at Mind of State Media, on our Facebook page, and at our website, mindofstate.com. You can also subscribe to our show at the iTunes Store or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>